Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 316. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire, I'd like to give all the loyal listeners of the Moving Iron Podcast a free Alliance baseball cap. If you'd like one of those, send an email to marketing at axontire.com and they'll send that to you in the mail. And if you'd like to get $50 off of your registration fee, for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th of 2023, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast, MovingIronPodcast.com, and they will make sure to uh, I'll make sure to get that that discount to you from the great people over there at Axon. Axon, so check that out. Valid Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. Valid Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment value and auctional pricing insights. This podcast is also brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. Their dealer connects CR, CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable sales-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work today. So I have got Rich Pawson back on here, and this is going to be a culmination of two podcasts blended together. So we had uh, last week, we had um, the PPI report come out, and how that affected the overall marketplace and the following week we had, which just today uh, or the day before today, I guess we had the CPI report came out, but more importantly, we had the fed um, come out with uh, what they were going to do with interest rates. And I thought being this close and the two big, you know, we had three big reports come out instead of uh, trying to get rich to kind of go back over all those things and everything else that we just record two different podcasts and smash them together. And rich was nice enough to, to do that. So rich, how are you doing this today, bud? Doing good. How are you? Doing good, man. Your uh, background looks like my backyard. And I'll tell you what we've got. <laughs> we've got we've got quite a bit of snow to work our way through, but it's uh, it is winter time, so I guess that's what you expect, right? Yeah, it sounds like it's heading our way too. So there you go. We're next. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody gets some. That's right. <laughs> All right, Rich. Real quick before we get too far down the road, talk to you about your podcast and where people can find that at. Yes, uh, go to Critical Point Pod dot com and it's a site about myself the modeling there's a few free things a little bit of blogging which i'm trying to get going on i sometimes forget to keep it updated put something out there but there's a link that'll take you to the pod uh host podcast host site and there's free as well as subscription there there's a separate page also just for uh, subscription and and logging in but uh, quite a bit of information there and they can um, ding me here or tweet me, whatever you want to call it, at rich underscore possum, P-O-S-S-O-N. Right on. And that podcast was criticalpoint.pod? Uh, criticalpointpod.com. 
And then, and the name is just simply Critical Point. So, okay. and it's basically a subscription service. Uh, I put the free stuff out like everybody else, but it's a uh, yeah subscription service that's based on business cycle models that I've used for decades now. And I have uh, taught corporations how to use this kind of thing and set up their own models, something similar. And then I present this to the public and we look at buy and sell signals anywhere from very short term to very long term in the stock market, a few grains, uh, gold, oil, uh, interest rates. uh, And then I discuss the economy. It's worked very well for me for decades of keeping up with the economy. It pretty much will tell us a time frame every decade of when we've got to look out for a recession and, and serious economic problems. In the meantime, I'll show you all the little twists and turns when you might expect the, uh, the next bad news coming. So right uh, quite useful. Right on. Okay. All right. Well, good stuff. Check that out. Rich's got tons of good stuff out there. Just follow him on Twitter. There's plenty of good stuff right there by itself. So check that out. All right, Rich, we've got, so Tuesday we had the CPI report come out and then Wednesday, which is today, we had the Fed come out with their um, decision of what they're going to do moving forward. And they did go ahead and bump it up. Was it a half, half a percent on the interest rates? Yes. Uh, they've been doing three quarters of a point all year long or for most of the year. And that's, I think I'm an unprecedented. If not, it ranks right up to the top of history of very large moves, nonstop, just go get them. I mean, they come out with guns blazing to fight this inflation. But today we got some nice news of uh, the East back a little bit. And uh, so hopefully that's a clue um, that they can see a light at the end of the tunnel. And that's, that's where yesterday's inflation data helped out. And uh, I think the, uh, the next rate hike, I believe, is not until February, and that's kind of fascinating because I, I forgot about the timing of that because my subscribers are aware of that. I've been forecasting a top, long-term top, and rates, including the Federal Reserve, around February to April. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think the Fed will will top then. Now, frankly, our free market rates, I think they're already topped ahead of my model, uh, which is fine. That, that occurs sometimes in markets when it does that. Normally, it won't crash or anything. It, what happens is it comes down, and then it kind of comes back up, and maybe not as high as it was, but it's like it's trying to respect the model, if you will, mm-hmm. and trying to hang in there until that more appropriate top. And uh, so we'll see. Obviously, the, you know, if inflation uh, were ever to surge next year, we're going to have to start all over and raise rates again. But the best forecast is we're, we're looking for tops early uh, next year for the Fed. And uh, I think we've already seen the highest interest rate uh, here at uh, probably the local bank or at least the government rates. Like I follow the 10-year treasury note and the 30-year bond, stuff like that. And I think we've seen the highest rate uh, for a while. And even I'm, I was forecasting lower rates, but I felt I should be cautious about it because the Fed would still be raising. And normally you don't see the free market going against that. And gosh, the free market rates have really done, come down quite a bit. And, you know, the speculation out there is the bond market believes this war on inflation is, is over. And some in the bond market might be nervous of that terrible R word, the recession uh, still coming. But increasingly, I see some what I think are qualified people uh, the backing away from the idea of a recession that we're going to kind of like just miss it and coast through. And that's basically where my model analysis has been for a few months now is that uh, we probably wouldn't go into a true recession, might come close to it. And uh, so I think it looks pretty good. I was, uh, first of all, I was pleased with with the CPI on Tuesday. Uh, Once again, I didn't try to forecast a magical number. Uh, The prior month, I said I would love to see a 7.8 or lower, and it came in at 7.8. So this time around, I said, well, I would love to see a 7.2 or lower. And then right after I told my subscribers, that I got looking at it. And my gosh, a lot of the polls were coming in at 7.2. I think the, the big name ones average 7.3. I thought, oh, there's too many of us on the same page. And I thought, oh, boy, we're probably going to have a wrong number. But it came in at 7.1 and uh, surprised 
surprised the market. I mean, my gosh, those stock index futures soared 120 points in the S&P 500, which I realize some people may not realize what that is, but that's a huge number. I mean, years ago, we waited months for the the stock market to rally 100 points <laughs> in the S&P 500. It did that in like 20 seconds or less, 100, 140 points, I think, at one point. So it's it's crazy how some people are betting on this data that comes in almost daily these days, how much they're pushing and shoving these markets around makes it difficult, I suppose, for the little guy who's sitting there watching his count move up and down by the second. Um, and that's why it's good to stay focused on the larger larger trends. Um, so they slammed it higher yesterday, actually slammed it all the way back down. And I had warned the subscribers, I says, they, they need to bring it down, fill in what we call a gap, and then we can get bullish again. And I said, I hope they do it sooner rather than later, get it out of the way. Well, they did it all in one day. And today the, the market was up some. And then when Powell, uh, or after the uh, announcement of a half a point, which I thought the market might be quite bullish, and it really wasn't. And some people said it's because most of the traders were betting the Fed was going to back off this time. But uh, after we got the Fed minutes or Fed notes uh, comments, which I couldn't find much of anything useful or new, and before that we got the rate hike, then we had Powell, which I've always said is the most important uh, event during that day of the Fed Reserve rate hikes. Um, that can really get the market going. And uh, I was so concerned he'd really come out declaring war on inflation again. And away he did, and away he didn't. And he kind of <clears throat> gave the bulls and bears each a little something. Wall Street at the time pretty much called it that uh, it was hawkish, meaning stock market would probably go down. Well, it did finish uh, lower today, uh, 24 points in the S&P 500, a little bit under 4,000. But um, in my opinion, if it was hawkish, they should have been able to hammer it. It was like they couldn't keep it down or they really weren't that serious about selling it. And so something is changing here. I, I, I really, as I stated in the past here uh, in the other podcast, I, I really think long-term bottoms have been found in October. And uh, something everybody could watch out for is if you draw, if you can get a chart, you know, S&P 500, if you draw a line from the highest price of the year through the highest price in March and August and extend it out, the market is bumped up against it. Now, if you look in March, it went up to that and just turned down immediately. And we did get bad news on inflation, Russia, Ukraine. In August, it got up to that line and turned down sharply. And that's when that line become proven and people said, wow, we got to take that serious. If the market goes up to it, you better think about selling. And we got bad data. We got you know bad inflation data, higher interest rates. Well, this time it's different. The market went up to the line, backed off a little, uh, popped through it. And with, and with the CPI inflation report yesterday, it really popped through it. Now, it did come back below it. Some people might get nervous over that. But uh, I tell you, I, I think this thing's trying to chip through that line that represents the place of supply, uh, more supply than demand. I think I think somebody's out there buying up the stock market as quietly as they can, and, and I hope so because I bought a while ago. <laughs> and, and, and all I could say is I'm in right up to my eyeballs, so <laughs> yeah. I hope to see some follow through. But if it goes through that line, a uh, considerable amount, I think somebody said that line's about 40, 90, 40, 80. Um, I think if we see 4110, more so like a 4130, people are going to get thinking, you know what, maybe the bear market for 2022 is over. And I've already said it is, but it would be a nice piece of evidence uh, for the stock market to get above that line. If it does, I, th I think the next objective for the bulls is they're going to run, up to run it up to a little over uh, 4200. And I would feel pretty safe, even if they want to knock it down quite a bit. I'd feel pretty safe that, you know, it's over for the bears in terms of how low they can get it. And that's where I'm pleased to where the Fed Reserve's going. Now, here, here's some negative news. My model didn't like it at first, and I'm sitting there watching these prices zigzag lower on me. And the model is saying, uh-oh, well, what happened is the Fed, they have this dot, I call it a dot map or chart, and it's just where they all throw their darts where they think rates will be federal reserve rates say for the next year and i guess it goes all the way up to 2025 but um 
for next for next year, they had in previous months shown that they probably would not be raising rates any higher by midsummer. In fact, they might even top out early in 2023, but they wouldn't raise to or lower to after midsummer. Well, they today they moved that out to September. And that, that that caused some concerns. You could see the market respond to that a little bit. Uh, they didn't particularly care for that. But the more I thought about it, and I watched how the model was forecasting how prices should move, and it was getting back in line, I really I really think if it bothered them that much, the market should close a lot lower. Now, maybe maybe something will happen tomorrow, and, and they take it lower, but I don't think so. I think we've got some stability here. And I, and to me, when I my rationale is, I don't care if they're not going to lower it after September. I just don't want them raising, and, and there's a, still a good possibility they'll finish raising by early next year. And uh, so, if they just move le- uh, sideways all the way to September, what I'm trying to say is, I think the free market interest rates will stay below that, and that's going to help protect us uh, from any recession fears. It'll actually help the economy. And so, the key is, can we keep inflation? tamed here as well. So I don't need lower Fed rates next year. I have not been one of these guys screaming, oh, we got to, they got to pivot. They got to pivot. No, I don't think they're going to pivot anytime soon, but um, I'm not concerned. What's the rate now? Uh, over 4%. I'm not concerned. I'm going to five, which they also put on that dot chart map. Some people were concerned, but we already knew that was a possibility. So the really only surprising news was just some of the comments maybe of Powell, but more of the idea that the Fed doesn't see themselves lowering rates after September. They still see their 2% inflation rate. They may not see it till 2024 to 2025. I'm fine with that as long as inflation's moving down towards that 3% area by the end of this year or next year. I mean, um, I think everything's going to work out just fine. Uh, I think the economy's... Uh, going to improve and uh, continue to grow. And uh, I think the stock market does well to very well. So I um, overall, yeah, that made me a little nervous this afternoon as, as, as some of that um, discussion came out of that uh, Fed Reserve hike and their comments. But I, um, I I think the market should have been beaten up more than that if they really didn't like it. Right. But, uh, and if we could just get her swinging up there, why? <laughs> I think we'll be all right. Now, I don't want to. There are some bulls out there who think this market is just going to scream higher. I'm not really in that camp. I won't complain about it since I'm so bullish. <laughs> but um, I, I, I could see this. It could be a struggle higher for a while. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, I it's going to be a struggle for bears now. Some of these bears are just um, some of them burn pretty good actually in the last few weeks. Others, all they're doing is giving back profits they made earlier in the year. And they don't necessarily want to give up, but you could just just the way the market behaves, you can see they're doing their best to make sure they don't give back much or they don't actually let it turn into a loss. And right. uh, so the pendulum is swinging, Casey. I, I I just have to be optimistic. I know I'm going up against some big name guys, but I uh, out there they'll still think they're we got to get some more pain before we go on to glory days. But I um, and I respect their work. I've researched some of it. I can't find everybody's work by no means, but um, often you and I have discussed what makes this business cycle work. How in the world can this business cycle be right when you got all these geniuses that are betting in the opposite direction? And all I can tell you is the best going back 150 years that, that I can see is that they are finally right when they're in line with the business cycle and they're somewhat wrong to wrong in the meantime. And so I just have to stick with what's worked for me and have the faith in the business cycle. And it's just saying we're not going to see 40, 50, 60 percent down stock market. We're not going to have a true recession and uh, be optimistic, but also don't get too greedy, which is what I remind myself when I look at my account. So, (laughs) right. So, okay. So, uh, last question here, and we'll we'll kind of wrap that up a little bit. So, as you look at, you talk about long term and that you're you're bearish or, or so you're bullish now. You're you're kind of on the bullish train. Um you, you're the only guy saying that. I'm not <laughs> fine. You know what I mean? So yeah. um now I'm obviously if it went and searched around, I'd find plenty of people. But if you look at the MSNBCs and the uh Fox Business Networks and uh, you know, seeing in business and all these different places that have these these uh high powered guys that come on and talk about stuff, they're they're 
saying that the only way that the um, the economy can go back to being any kind of level of normalcy is that we have to go through a recession and they think this recession is going to be dramatically worse than what than what people are at, predicting now why why and i'm not an economist so i'm not going to pretend like i am but what i'm where i think your your business model is 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 right is that with all this covid stuff and what we see happening in china and like i've talked about this several times on here if china does open back up and they start letting people do their thing and they start producing and consuming and everything else again a lot of this inflation stuff goes away because now we got a volume of products and being produced and being consumed which would align with what you're saying correct correct so that's a very that's a very good explanation for a portion of it's a complicated thing putting it all together but it's very important and i think china's back next year Although I did read this morning, it was some place where they finally backed off in the lockdowns and then the COVID cases <laughs> shot up. So, yeah. you know, uh, but it looks like to me the way things, how long it takes. I'm always interested more of how long does it take to work through something? And can you see that machine getting us there more than I am in all the, the numbers and how crazy it gets and the headlines, that stuff like that. And it just looks like even China is getting to that point where uh, they're ready to reverse and turn something. And I, and I have seen it already in real estate where they're backing off there. You know, they had the real estate crisis probably still going, but they, uh, they, they're actually uh, being a little more lenient to actually help out real estate. So I think it's going to be a turnaround year for them of uh, coming back. And, uh, you know, we've already seen a big reduction in the amount of ships coming from China to here. Uh, import prices. I saw a chart today, uh, and I gotta go back and put that in a model. It's not really gonna change anything, but uh, but it is an import. But uh, input prices to the U.S. imports, I should say, uh, have really really come down. So I think um, I think we really are winning the war on inflation. Is just fascinating to me. This government, these government numbers, are actually dragging dragging their feet compared to what a lot of these analysts are looking at out there. Um, and even my own formulas, you know, I, uh, yeah, the inflation come in at 7.1, but I tell you, I think it's probably closer to six in reality. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know. Are we, I guess I'm somewhat upset. We haven't seen a huge drop yet in CPI or PPE and all those other things, but, uh, and the PPI, but uh, maybe that's what's coming down the road here fairly soon too, you know? Yeah. And so I'm convinced we'll get there. Um, I've, I've often said I don't think we're going to get it down to the 2% the Fed wants. Uh, and even if we do, I don't think it's going to stay there. I, I still think for this decade, we're going to wind up with an average uh, inflation higher than the recent decades. But that doesn't scare me. I don't see that up a huge amount. But I do see short-term problems along the way. I, I wouldn't doubt that we'll go through another inflation problem during the latter half of this decade, and we're going to have higher interest rates again. Uh, I don't think it'll be as serious as this one, but what if it's more serious, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, I really do think we got an opportunity here to cool this, that kind of stuff down into about the year 2025, a little bit later. And uh, with any luck at all, stay down for the rest of the decade. But um, but I'll be mindful and and look for uh, issues and problems. But right today, I, I think we got this. And I, I think it's just going to continue to uh, erode inflation, that is. And that should temper the uh, interest rates. And again, I don't see them going all the way back to the bottom. We, we've got a new elevated level. And yet, if you go back in history, the last 50 years, you could see it didn't matter whether it was a 2%, 5%, 10%, 20%. People still did business. They got used to that level. Yep. And um We'll, we'll get, we're going to get used to this one. And um, so, uh, yeah, I know there's, uh, you know, you rank me against, uh, compare me to some of those guys out there. I mean, there's guys out there, what I just say, the S&P 500 is just a little over under 4,000, but there's guys still looking for 3,200 and they actually are long-term bullish, or at least they say they are. They're just saying, we got to go through that much pain to really correct this stuff. Well, unless unless we see inflation suddenly jump back up to nine percent or something, or even ten, uh, I think they're going to be right yet wrong. They're kind of right that we got to work through some things, but they're wrong in the sense of we got another major bad impact coming here in order to clean things up. I I, I don't think they realize the machine is kind of healing itself here uh, along the way. Yeah. And, 
So I am optimist and I'm bullish. And I must say, uh, you know, every one of these reports come out, you always get a little queasy. Do you know what you're doing? And, and I must say the data come out this week was uh, pleasing. Um, I think we're on, I think I'm on the right track and I'll stay with it until we can see something telling us otherwise. Well, right on. Okay. So we had a couple, I had a big report come out uh, this yesterday, this morning, actually, uh, the PPI report came out and next week is the CPI report that comes out. So before we start talking about what happened in the PPI, I got a friend of mine who keeps asking me what the difference between the PPI and the CPI is. And I told him I have to ask Rich Possum what to, how to answer <laughs> that question. So what's the difference between the two and, and what do they measure that's, that's different from each other? Okay, so PPI stands for Producer Price Index, and that is the prices producers are charging. It's highly related to wholesale pricing data is another way to explain it. And then the CPI is the Consumer Price Index, which means what are you and I paying at the store? And they create these indexes, and then they simply calculate the monthly rate of change, maybe quarterly, definitely yearly rate of change. And generally, people think of that as inflation, but it's really just a percent of prices and overall inflation. If you look at those indexes, you would say prices have gone up forever and probably going up forever anyways. But when you deal with that percent side of things, you can see what happens is we speed prices higher, we speed them lower, or at least back them off lightly. And people get very excited about those kind of changes, where if you look at the CPI, you'd say, well, <laughs> there's only one way to bet. Prices always go up. So, um, But those are the measurements. What's going on in the stores, the CPI, what's going out at the factory or the farm, whatever, uh, is the PPI. Okay. So we talked about the report today. You saw some, looked like from what I could tell, and I have no idea how to read that thing, but I'm just kind of trying to read my way through there and read some headlines, stuff like that. It looked like there were some decrease a slight decrease i guess in in the ppi inflationary numbers so i guess talk about that a little bit rich and we see happening there right when you plot the year to year but do it monthly you can see it's trending lower it's been doing it for some time now uh the cpi just started to do that in recent months here so it's telling us this annual inflation is going lower so the report was positive in that sense that when we compare a year ago, but then go back a month and compare a year before that, we could see this path that's leading lower. So this makes people comfortable, happy that it looks like things are calming down on inflation, at least if not backing off. However, the stock market got upset uh, minutes before the stock market, uh, the official or day session stock market opened. And the reason it got upset is the monthly change in that PPI was 0.3%, which doesn't sound like much, but it really is when you think about it. Because if you get 0.3% every single month, you're going to be up 10% for the year. And what, what have we been seeing this year? We've been seeing, or we saw that earlier in the year. Uh, the trade was only expecting 02 so, I mean, they were off by a huge amount, okay? And uh, so the stock market immediately took a hit, and I said, gee, I guess it's going to be a bad day, and I was hopeful for a little what we call intra-week, intra-day kind of bottom. Well, then it started recovering uh, here going into the close. It hasn't closed yet, but um, it, it's recovering some. And I think the reason is they're backing off saying, let's not get too excited about this, because when they look at that year-on-year -year number, we're gaining. We're, we're making some headway here of winning on inflation. Plus, I think most investors, businesses, economists, analysts, anybody, everybody, especially on Wall Street, they're more interested in the CPI that's due next week on Tuesday. Uh, so that's the, really the more important number. But the point is, this report made them a little jittery, a little weak in the knees here. But they decided not to sell it off fast, primarily because I think everybody wanted to get out and go Christmas shopping, frankly. But um, I, I, you know, they're going to try to hold out to next week. That's where they're going to make their more important decisions. Do they want to buy and sell stocks and, and get all nervous or not? Uh, my guess is, is I, I felt really good at what happened back in November when they released the October CPI report. I told my subscribers, I want 7.8%. I didn't know if I was going to get it that time, but I said, when we get it, it's probably a sign inflation's coming down for quite some time. And then, man, they released that report and it came in at 7.8 or so. So very pleased how that worked that day. And I even had buy signals in the stock market minutes before they released the report. And it was a great day for us uh, in that sense. 
Uh, I don't know if I have a magical number to give you for Tuesday. Um, I'm, I'm just going to wait on a report and see what we get. Granted, this PPI makes me nervous. Maybe it's time for CPI to pop back up some. Stock market probably won't like it. But I don't think it could pop up a large enough amount to scare people that we're just not winning on inflation. But uh, we just have to see how they respond to it. Because sometimes people don't respond to a number the way you might think. Um, so why are people, why would they get upset one way or the other, happy or sad over the CPI report? Well, the thing is, if it's a strong one, then they're nervous the Fed's going to keep raising rates till they break the economy. And in my opinion on our economy, where they just revised the third quarter uh, GDP annual up to 2.9, had been 2.6 was shocked everybody that it was that strong, even surprised me a little bit. I was assuming it was going to be up. And I feel like I correctly forecast that the negative GDP numbers for the first half of the year were forecasting a recession. I said, well, if it's going to be a recession, it's going to be a strange one. It's not going to be that serious. It's going to be very difficult whether it is or not. And I just felt like by the third quarter, the economy would be back. And that's what's going on. It looks like it's back for the third quarter. my thoughts are we've dodged some kind of bullet here. And even if we're going into recession next few months, some people still believe it's going to happen. It's going to be soft, mild. I, th- I think we'll have a soft landing here. But even I don't want the Federal Reserve to go crazy and slam these rates uh, much higher. Because if they want to, they can break the economy. And stock market is not going to like that. Quite a few people aren't going to like that. Because <laughs> then, we'll, then we'll have rising unemployment and everything else. But right today, I think we're coasting into it. And I've had a look, quite a few questions from subscribers and even people that don't subscribe but are aware of my uh, analysis I've done for 20, well, I guess more than 30 years now. Um, I think we're in some kind of like double dip recession if it's a recession, meaning the GDP got it right at the beginning of the year. And now the GDP is saying, well, we fully recovered, it's over. But my favorite indicator is the PMIs just went below 50, which means the economy is now falling backwards where we're contracting. But it's not low enough to signal a recession. And I don't think it's going to get there. But if it does, I think what's happened is the year kind of broke up where we were in trouble at the beginning of the year. We got a little better by summer and then not so good by the end of the year. But my best forecast is we're going to work through this, I think, at least after the first quarter of next year. Uh, we're going to see some good economic numbers right on into 2024. And I don't think the stock market's going to wait around for any more bad numbers. And I was pleased this week to see a few Wall Shooters have been very negative, very bearish, and are now flipping the other way, saying they believe the stock market went low enough that we can, that the stock market can handle much more negative news than what we've had this year. And I, it feels like that. Right? We've got some kind of bottom here. So I'm not going to say everything's going to, be rosy here for the stock market for a while, but I think we got some kind of bottom in, and I think the economy is probably stabilizing, bottoming out as well. And I'm just hopeful the Fed's going to be peaking out rates here soon. So, okay, all right. So let's talk about um, let's talk about currencies real quick. So we had since we talked last, we've seen some some pretty big things. The dollars have been fairly strong. You know, it's been moving up. Uh, we're seeing some movements there. We're seeing. Um, some real movement in gold over the last couple of weeks, um, maybe the last couple, three weeks. And then you have the whole um, cryptocurrency, you know, collapse with uh, with what's going on over there with, with Bank Mifreed and, and, and all the stuff that you see happening there. So, I mean, I guess as you take a look at currency right now and, and how those are playing together, what are you seeing there? And then how do you still see the dollar staying strong through this, uh, you know, through this year into the next, the first quarter. Yeah, I I think the dollar will be down for 2023. Okay. I think we found a long-term top in place. It's dropped quickly. It's actually responded. Well, I could be wrong in this. I was saying it was a dollar's weaker than the interest rates. It just backed off. Um, the it, It's dropped fast enough that we should anticipate some rebounds in the dollar at times. And if there's any inflation problems in the next 12 months, so that would help explain it because the Fed will probably continue to raise rates and rates are important to the dollar or any currency. Uh, But I think we've probably seen the highest of the dollar index. I think it 
go lower into January. And I think that's going to help the stock market forecast because I'm bullish the stock market into January. I think we'll get a Santa Claus rally here. I just don't know how good it's going to be. Everything is debatable in, in terms of strength. But um, I like what I see for the dollar. I think things are readjusting there. I think people are starting around the world getting a handle on that there's a good chance interest rates will be peaking out around the world, that the world's going to wake up, that they probably are winning on inflation. And they're certainly becoming more comfortable, I think, with the U.S. of winning on inflation. The dollar is pretty much making a bet that uh, it's over for interest rates. And the bond market is kind of making that bet, too. But you could argue the bond's also nervous of maybe the Fed overdoing it, and we do go into the recession. Uh, but for the dollar, I, I want to say just a little bit lower, at least. It's, it's oversold enough where we should anticipate bounces along the way. But um, I, I think in January, we'll see it just a tad lower. If I'm wrong, it's not going to bounce very much. And like I say, for the year of next year, that is, I think the dollar stays off the highs. And I think it's going to be a good thing for the global economy as well as our own economy, get our exports and imports going. And um, you can see the stock market is running very high correlation. Somebody did some interesting thing earlier this week. They took a, a fund that you can invest in to basically better invest on the dollar. And they flipped it upside down, turned the chart upside down, overlaid it to the stock market. And it was astonishing. The stock market and the dollar were just moving right along one another, up and down, up and down. And uh, so if I'm right that the dollar index is moving lower next year, if it will keep that correlation, then the stock market goes higher. Well, I don't really need the dollar, the stock market go higher. The stock market is far more complicated than that, but um, it would be a plus. And it'd be a plus for us for our economy to back off the uh, the dollar. The dollar was just too high. It was too much of a risk thing, risk off. People trying to protect themselves, but it was kind of shooting us in our own, you know, shooting ourselves in the foot uh, by putting it up there like that. And uh, so, hopefully, better days coming from uh, a lower dollar here <laughs> next year. Right. Right. Okay. Um, let's talk energy now. Energy is one other thing that we're seeing has guys moved uh, to the downside this week, especially. Kind of started its fall last week, but this week it's really been taking a tumble. Um, I guess looking at that, Rich, what are what are some of the? I mean, you got their strategic um, oil reserves and what they're doing there and all that stuff. Um, they're kind of almost back to the point where they can start buying it again. Um, <clears throat> kind of at that that seventy dollar mark, seventy four dollar mark, or whatever it was that they were uh, the government was wanting to buy it back at, and, and start to move back into that. But I guess as you're looking at the price of oil right now, Richard, what are some of the driving factors you see out there driving that price down? Yeah, I see uh, it's primarily demand driven because the oil companies keep telling us they have a problem of keeping the supplies up. I don't believe it. I think they've been gouging us. I think the supplies are there. Uh, but the demand really backed off after that uh, summer driving season. People really cut back uh, and the price had been too high. And they didn't, even though prices are now lower than they, what, what they were last year, I believe, uh, for gasoline at least, diesel's trying to come down. The cash is still much higher than the futures, though, uh, when you use heating oil futures compared to diesel. So we have some work to do to bring that down. Again, these are positive things for my stock market forecast and the economy forecast, cool that energy off. Uh, so I'll say it's a little more of a crunch on the demand and maybe a little more supply there, even though the oil companies don't want to tell us that. <laughs> um, so it's that kind of a balance. And it's fascinating. The business cycle had been warning for a few months now. It's time to take oil prices down into January. And that's a positive thing for the stock market as well. I don't know how much lower it would go. It's interesting. It's you know back pretty close to $70. I think that's where the government's buying, if I understand that correct. And uh, it would be fascinating if the government can buy because people are going to be shocked that uh, they were able to sell at a high price and buy at a low price. <laughs> so right. that's going to be, uh, I'm sure Biden will be on the TV reminding us of that if that works out. <laughs> so, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, so uh, at any rate, it is it is fascinating. Traders, um, you know, I don't know if it can go much lower than where it is when I look out to January because it's getting so close. But at the same time, trend is down and there's no evidence of uh, popping it back up yet. I do think looking out the summer, we'll see the normal seasonal demand for gasoline move gasoline up faster than oil, but it could support oil, put oil up. But I I really think we've made a major change here that uh, we've seen the highest price for oil for few to several years now. Can't rule out something going wrong, but um, 
I think we've seen the highest price. And uh, I'd like to think oil's going to 68 bucks, but uh, we'll see because there's some indicators saying, well, you've dropped it hard enough, fast enough now, got to start thinking of a bounce. And I, I think we will get a bounce January to Feb. It's just ideally it'll try to go a little bit lower here into January 1st. Yeah. Um, so I like what I see with that. You can see the whole world starting to shift. Uh, this morning, I put out a special report from my subscribers. I haven't been talking much of the global stock indexes, and I was kind of surprised in the last 30, 60 days here how strong some of them are actually stronger than our own stock market, which is unusual. We're usually the leader, and they're just getting caught up. And some of those are European stocks, uh, Germany's uh, stock index and France's stock index. Very impressive. They're higher than the August prices, and our our index is not over August yet. Uh, the Dow Jones may be, now that I think about it, but not the S&P 500 and NASDAQ that probably are more popular with people these days. And I think what that's telling us is that global investors are saying somehow, some way, Europe's going to be fine. They'll, they'll get through their recession if they're in it. They're going to work with deal with inflation. They're probably going to peak out interest rates soon. And they must be thinking that Russia, Ukraine isn't going to hurt Europe. Uh, some were saying Germany's economy, they're kind of surprised that it's uh, doing as well as it has after all these issues over Russia, Ukraine. And hopefully there's a sign of optimism that the Russia, Ukraine thing is going to be over with next year. And that is my forecast, but that's a pure gamble. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so let's talk about one other thing from, from a world economy standpoint. You, you hit on some, some of the places I want to talk about. One place that has been in the news here of late is China. China uh, eased back their uh, COVID restrictions, but they they say that, and then the very next day they locked down a, <clears throat> an entire city of you know 100 million people or whatever. So you don't really know what to believe. And then also you kind of read between the lines of some of their articles where they're saying like you know our economy is slightly um, you know weaker than we anticipated. You know which typically you know when China says something like that, there's typically a, a bigger story behind what they're saying. So. I guess as you look at China and the effect that they have on the overall economies of the world from a production standpoint and and the amount of, of material and, and products that get moved from China to the rest of the world, what's your feeling there and, and what, what effect do you see that having uh, long term through 23 uh, with China and the, and the overall world economy? Yeah, they definitely have issues with their lockdown. And yeah, things probably are worse than we're being told for their economy. And we can tell uh, the amount of ships being booked to ship from China to other countries and definitely the U.S., it's down a huge amount. So they got a problem of not producing and getting it out the door. And some of this probably is the lockdown. Some of it's probably discouraging the people who are not locked down that they're just sick and tired of it. And, uh, you know, I've always said, well, don't tell China what to do. They're a big country, but, and I know they're just trying to protect people. But the point is they've gone on, you know, they've gone on this forever since we discovered COVA. And they've been, they've been working the lockdowns more than any other country. And, you know, at some point you have to always reevaluate what you're doing, no matter how, how accurate you think you are, how good you are, but you just have to always evaluate. And someday you have to wake up. Well, you know what? Maybe this isn't as good thing after all. And I think they need to come up front and just be honest with their people and change. And I thought we were starting to see some evidence, but I'm sure with their communistic leaders over there, they're probably scared of acting weak. And so, and I'm not picking on them that this happens to all people around the world as we hate to admit that, hey, it's not working or we're wrong or something like that. And so hopefully we're seeing some signs of adjusting though where I think they're going to try to deal with their people a little easier and saying, you know, we can back off some of this stuff and let's just see how it works. And I do know over in the real estate sector, you know, they had this big real estate blow up here, but it looks like they're kind of easing like they're willing to help real estate again if people want to build more real estate and buy and sell it and that sort of thing. So it sends a message, I think, they're getting to where they want to rebuild the economy next year. How aggressive they will be, I don't know. And uh, the favorite indexes I follow don't necessarily look that good. They look like they're starting to turn up for the stock market. So I, I think there's some bargain hunting going on there and speculation that maybe they're going to turn the corner. And it will be interesting to see. I mean, they held off on buying soybeans all they could. And lately, they've had some pretty good purchases uh, for us or sales for us to China. So I'm going to I'm going to go with the idea China improves uh, next year economic wise are going to open up a little better and we're going to move those ships and that's also going to help our economy and our business. 
Um, even if they don't swip, uh, flip around all that fast, that really, uh, I think I'll still be fine on my forecast for the U.S. economy and the stock market. But it would be better if uh, China got back to a little towards normal there. And, yep. uh, so when you look at all, it looks like there's evidence they're trying, but I don't. I can't tell you how fast or how well it's going to work. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's look big picture here going through 23. Um, you made a couple predictions here uh, throughout this time. We've been on this podcast in 22 that you've talked about inflation uh, slowing down here in the last quarter of the year, moving into that first quarter of 23. We're starting to see evidence of that. Rich, as you look out into 23 with some of the other stuff that you see happening right now, what are your thoughts there? And, and how do you see um, in your crystal ball, how do you see the economy for 23 shaping up? Yeah, I think we're going to move forward here. You could argue the economy has been strong all this year anyways, even though GDP went negative first half of the year. And there's no question about it. That is a type of signal for some that we were in a recession, but it just didn't add up. There should have been other indicators right along with it, and they weren't. So this was a strange thing this year. I think it had something to do with inflation. It's almost like half the country wasn't doing so good, and the other half was making a lot of money out of that inflation. And on balance, it kept us okay. I think we're going to see a better improvement next year, meaning maybe GDP doesn't go much higher than what we're already looking at. We're looking at 2.9% here as of the third quarter. Fourth quarter probably backs that off a little, maybe a little in the early first quarter, then up again. I think for the year, 25 to 4% GDP uh, for 2023. And, you know, that, that that's good numbers. Uh, two and a half is probably about normal for us these days, uh, looking back over several decades. You start pushing that towards four, it's going to be a good time, especially if we don't have the inflation uh, rising again. Uh, interest rates, I can see here in the next few months, uh, we got the 10-year note down to three and a half. It was even below that. It started to come back up, and it should. I think they put it down too fast ahead of the Fed Reserve. Fed Reserve needs to raise, and they will raise next Wednesday. The question is, are they going to stick with that three-quarters of a point which is extremely large for them, but they've been doing it all year long. So it's unprecedented. Um, we, we were hopeful they were going to do a half this time around, according to Powell's speech last month after the CPI report. It sounded like he was willing to play around here a little bit. And um, now we don't know with this PPI, <laughs> what's that telling us for the CPI next week? It, it may force the Fed to say, no, nope, got to do another three quarters point. So that would put them up to four and three quarters. And here we have the 10 year at three and a half. That's that's pretty low. So we probably got to bring it back to four. But I do not believe the bond market wants to put the free market interest rates back up to the Fed Reserve or higher. Normally, we would expect the 10 year be a half a point to a point higher than the Fed. But if you go back and look history the last 20 or 30 years, it was interesting how the free market rate stopped going up ahead of the Fed raising their rates. And by time the Fed raised their rates, the free market was already going below it, or we're already below it. So the bond market may be sending a signal. It really does believe the Fed is about done. I'll forecast the Fed's going to be done anywhere from now um, into maybe uh, April the latest uh, to stop raising rates. Now, I don't know if the Fed's going to lower rates later in the year. I'd like to see it, but they may just leave the rates there, just stuck there for the rest of uh, 2023. I'm actually fine with that. The free market rates will probably stay below that, and we'll see some stability. People will go back. Well, people are going to adjust to this new interest rate that's up for a change. You know, We've had the lower interest rates for 40 years. Now we got a, an up year. I think we're stuck with these higher rates for quite some time. But if you go back and study your history in the 50s, 60s, 70s, right in the early 80s, when interest rates just kept going up and up and up and up, people still did business. I mean, I knew people buying uh, multi-million dollar farms at 17% interest rates, you know. So we will adjust to it. I don't think it's a negative. What can be negative is that the Federal Reserve thinks, man, we got to run this all the way to six and a half and we got to get it done in 2023. I'm probably going to be backpedaling on some of my optimism. Um, but I just I just don't see that occurring. And I'm quite hopeful the Fed will, will be over and done here in just a few months. And I just hope uh, inflation behaves itself here <laughs> and we ease it back. And, and there is, at least on the material side of inflation, there's evidence the supply chain was fixed a while ago. Anybody says not, they were probably playing games, trying to hold their prices up and this and that. You can see this is all breaking up and people are giving in. 
Now, I will say the inflation side, however, and we did get a great jobs report for November. That was stronger than people wanted to see. And inside of that, the wages took a nice jump. People who are flipping jobs, they're going from one job, going to the next one and getting a 7% raise. Frankly, I think they needed it. When I look back 30 or 40 years, it was obvious it was coming someday. Uh, many of us forecast that. We kept telling businesses, you better pay a little better because you're going to pay sooner or later. And then uh, it's here. Again, that might be a negative that keeps the Fed uh, kind of aggressive here and keeps these rates up. But again, I can also see if I was a Fed, I'd still take a wait and see attitude. I'd probably raise it next week. And then at the start of the year, I'd say, okay, we're just going to watch for a while and see how this plays yeah. out. Yeah. 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 So, okay. so big week next week. And, yeah. uh Go from there. Right on. <clears throat> well, good stuff as usual, Rich. One more time with your podcast where they can find that and how they can reach you. Uh, criticalpointpod.com. And you can also get me an email at rich at ag-financial.com. And uh, you can DM me, ping, whatever it's called at Twitter. Uh, that's at, at Rich underscore Possum, P-O-S-S-O-N. Right on. Well, Rich, I appreciate you being the podcast, man. Thank you very much, Casey. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Also go to LinkedIn and Moving Iron Podcast and check this video version of this out on the YouTube channel, Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel, so you can see uh, the video version of this podcast here. Anything moving on related, go to movingironllc.com and you'll find everything there. And uh, with that, I am Casey Seymour with Rich Boston. Let's move smart, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard work. 